Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, September 24th, 2023. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia, Michael Portantier and Jan Simpson. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, Brain Teases for Broadway Geniuses, is now available wherever finer books are sold. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Peter, we missed you last week, but we were lucky enough to refer back to your new book, Brain Teasers of Broadway Geniuses, and get the trivia out of the way. So now this week we have two trivia answers to answer with our <laughs> right. listeners. Hope we're, hopefully we're all up for that. Yes, and I have a lot to answer for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we hope your uh, trip up to Boston was a, was a fruitful one. Oh, it sure was. Yeah. Um, I went to a class reunion of a class I taught. Ah, yeah, yeah. And it was so nice to hear how many people were theater goers. I mean, so many people were talking to me. Uh, These are people who um, I actually uh, taught um, as freshmen, sophomores and juniors. And um, so many of them had Broadway stories that they wanted to talk about. And they were so excited. So it was really, really nice to see that um, so many people are paying attention to Broadway and um, really come up here. And I mean, one woman said she comes up for a week and, you know, sees 10 shows. And I mean, I thought that was terrific. So God love you, Mary Rogers, not to be confused with shot. It's your name, Mary Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can uh, do that whole David Merrick thing where they uh, pull, pulled the right, uh, reviewers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mary Rogers said, I taught right. Mary Rogers everything right. she knows about theater. That's it. You know? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who taught her everything she knows? Yeah, that's, that's right. Perfect. And- <laughs> that also, perfect. coming up uh, in just two days on Tuesday, it's September 26th at 7 p.m. at Theater 555, which is way down on West 42nd Street. Peter, uh, you ha- you're having a reading of your new play for the greater good, which is a one man show starring Dylan Stovall. So tell us about that. Well, Eric Krebs, um, who had produced my play God Shows Up four years ago. Uh, gave me an article uh, that horrified me. I, I couldn't believe what I was reading. And he said, um, I'd like you to write a play about this. So I have. And um, I will admit, it's tough to take. Now, here's the guy who says that regional theater should be doing comedies um, to get an audience back. And yet, um, this article really inspired me to write um, a play that deals with um, guns and gun violence and um, horrific crimes. And um, we'll see how it plays out. But I'll tell you, we did table read and this kid is phenomenal. He's a student at Hofstra. And um, I do believe we're going to hear from Dylan Stovall whether it be in my play or something else entirely, because he really, really ripped into it and did a phenomenal job. So I really think that um, (laughs) I'm not sure if the play's worth seeing, but I'm telling you Dylan Stovall is. (laughs) So if you'd like to come, by all means, um, P-F-I-L-I-C-H-I-A at Gmail will swing it. And uh, let me know if you're coming. You're more than welcome. It's free. So um, I hope to see you there. Okay. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. 
Hello. <laughs> so, Michael, cast album reviews. Uh, we haven't mm. checked in in, uh, in a few months. Uh, how's that going? Anything new? It's lots of cast albums coming out, including, you know, Robbie Rizal talked about Guys and Dolls coming in from London. Uh, the cast album actually coming wow. from London. Right. Uh, actually, week. yeah, I'm going to be reviewing that one, but it's not officially released till I think the, the 29th of uh, this month. So, uh, so I have to wait on that. Um, oh, you've, you've got the inside track. You've heard it already. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I mean, I got a, an advance, I guess you call it an advanced copy. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, what do we have, re- um, recently, uh, did you do harmony? We, uh, Charles Kirsch is writing harmony. He has that we have a whole bunch of stuff that's about to appear, but also, as I mentioned, uh, you know, when we originally transferred the, the original book, the theater mania guide to musical theater recordings to a website, um, somehow for one reason or another, a lot of stuff was left out. Um, and somebody made a list for me of everything we had left wow. out. Um, yeah, which was like, I didn't even have to ask, you know? Um, and so recently I have added back, uh, reviews of the mad woman of central park West, uh-huh. make a wish uh. Avenue X. Remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah, sure. At the drop of a hat uh, yeah. at home abroad, the Athenian touch, uh, the Athenian touch and, um, uh, how to steal an election. We uh-huh. had had a review of that original recording, and I figured, well, let's get that one up now because it was the recent uh, presentation at the York as part of the musicals in Mufti. And so, Masterworks Broadway has been available for um, not as a physical CD, but uh, one can get it uh, download. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that is available again. Yeah, so we're uh, yeah we're really busy over over there. <laughs> uh, Michael Sean Logan in our uh, chat room is uh, asking about the new Sweeney Todd cash recording. Is that up on queue? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I just just got it. Um, uh, unfortunately, one of the tracks uh, that uh, on the copy I got was corrupted for some reason, oh. and it was. And guess what track it was? <laughs> Epiphany. It was the absolute denouement climax of the plot <laughs> uh, and i got to it and then suddenly it, you know it was the previous scene and then it switched to attend the tale of sweeney todd and i'm like what <laughs> michael that's terrible i hate that when sweeney todd cuts out on you like that <laughs> i know but i have to say um musically it sounds really 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 wonderful uh oh. josh groban sounds even better than than then I remember him sounding in the theater. And um, uh, I really like the guy who plays the judge. I think mm. he does a superb job. Uh, and the whole cast is very strong, but it's um, I think it's a worthy addition. to. Oh, here's an interesting thing that I will mention, because uh, I haven't listened to it that closely. But um, some of it apes the original recording in, in terms of the cuts. Uh, which surprised me because obviously now uh, there are no restrictions as far as fitting it onto two LPs or, yeah. or you know, even. Uh, yeah. But for example, um, yeah. uh, for example, nothing's going to harm you um, is done exactly as it is on the original cast album, rather than with that um, extra material where uh, 
where uh, Toby says, uh, you don't understand. Three quid was in it, two or three, blah, blah, blah. That's not, no, that's not there. It's just as it is on the original. So I guess they thought that maybe for listening purposes, it was better to condense it that way. Um, I don't know. Uh, and there was a couple of other cuts that I noticed, but I mean, I don't think they're damaging. It's just uh, something I was surprised to hear. Well, nothing, mm. nothing worse than cuts in Sweeney. <laughs> so, uh, also, cut. Cut. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> yep, we get it. <laughs> also with us is Jan Simpson. Jan's a theater journalist who writes the blog Broadway and Me and hosts the Broadway video podcast Stagecraft and all the drama. She has twice served as a Pulitzer Prize juror. Hello, Jan. Hi. Hello. And Jan, you and I have been trading emails this week about the uh, changes in the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, you know, it seems as though that uh, they are allowing non-Americans in through our borders to get the uh, Pulitzer Prize. Uh, what do you think about this? Well, when I first heard it, I thought, oh, my gosh, all the Pulitzers are going to go to Tom Stoppard. But that's, <laughs> but that's not what's going to happen. First off, you have to uh, either... Uh, live here permanently or spend a lot of time in uh, this country. So, you know, no Tom Stoppard, no David Hare. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this, this change was made primarily for the novels, Uh, a group of novelists uh, primarily, but not exclusively uh, novelists who are, uh, have immigrant status or um, are without official papers in this country, but who write novels and who write poetry, uh, sent a letter to uh, the the Pulitzers uh, pleading their case, saying that they should be considered, um, and a lot of other writers supported them. And there are a lot more novels and a lot more poetry collections by people who are not official American citizens than there are plays, um, for good or ill, uh, by, uh, uh, immigrant, uh, people who, who do not have official citizenship. And so it's, it's going to affect them more than it will uh, affect us, at least in the short term. You know who's against this? Who? All the readers, the the Pulitzer readers. That oh have my to read gosh! Everything. Really, <laughs> really. I don't. I don't know how those novel people who judge the novels do it. Yeah. Um, oh, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. I, yikes! Uh, in the past, when I when when I've done it, there have been like I, maybe on average ninety plays. Um, that you have to read within a, a, a concentrated period of time. And that wiped me out. And so oh, I can't imagine reading 90 or 100 novels mm. uh, to, to narrow it down. Mm. Mm. Wow. Do they, is... uh, do they make all of them read all of them? Yes. Well, for the novels, I don't know. But for the plays, yes. Interesting. Yes, you know, you- just just like every Tony voter sees every show. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> great line reading, Peter. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I was thinking, you know, maybe they could do something like they they would uh, apportion them among the readers, and then uh, have them uh, the ones who read the same ones choose the strongest of those, and then maybe have a a second round. Then when everyone read the you know the yeah, the, maybe, the list after they had been. Maybe down. that is what they do for the novels because some novels, you know, 500, 600 pages. Or more, yes. <laughs> yeah, so maybe yeah. they do do that. But with the plays, um, at least when, when I did it, you have to read all of the plays that come in and uh, and then the process narrows down. People suggest the plays that, that they feel are the strongest. And then we have to reread those. There's a short, a, a short list, and then it narrows down again, and it's reread those, and finally, uh, a, a recommend. So there's a lot of reading. Yeah. All right. So uh, one place that you might find uh, a lot of former Pulitzer. Uh, memorabilia is at the Broadway flea market and grand auction, which is next Sunday, October 1st. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so Peter, you're going to be out there, right? Yeah. The, the theater world awards, uh, which I MC um, every year, we have a table um, each year uh, with uh, various pieces of memorabilia uh, from the awards and everything else, uh, books, records, what have you. So um, it's worth stopping by, and I'd love to meet people who listen to these podcasts, so that'd be great. And we're looking for better weather than we're having this weekend in yeah. uh, in New York. Mm. So uh, it, it's it's rough here uh, in, the, in the dreary rain this week, but October 1st, next Sunday... Uh, starting at 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., if you get over to Times Square, you're going to see lots of tables with great memorabilia, stuff you can't get anywhere else. And I believe I read that they are reinstating the autograph booth uh, or oh, nice. autograph. Uh, I guess they, that had not been reinstated last year, presumably still because of COVID, I'm uh, guessing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, uh, and I don't know what if they're going to have any restrictions as to like – well, whatever, if people have to wear masks, you know, the people coming up to the table. But uh, I mean, I haven't read anything either way about that, but it's nice to know that it will be back. Let's uh, get on to some news this week. And this is like, what's the what's the four pillars of the apocalypse or what do they call that? The four horsemen, the four horsemen. Andre Bishop to step down as producing artistic director of Lincoln Center Theater at the end of the 2024-25 season. I never, I can't imagine Lincoln Center Theater without Andre Bishop. And this comes on the heels of Carol Rothman stepping down at second stage. Mm -hmm. And of course, earlier in the year, Todd Hames passed away. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, Andre Lenz, uh, uh, over Andrew, at primary Andrew, Andrew, Andrew Lindsay, Lindsay, Lindsay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Andrew Lindsay at primary stages, mm -hmm. Jim Nicola, at New York Theater Works, Sarah Benson mm -hmm. at Soho Rep. I, this is this is a monumental change to the Broadway ecosystem, isn't it? So the only one left apparently is Lynn Meadow. Lynn Meadow, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
she's hanging in there yeah yeah so this is you know people don't appreciate the uh the symbiotic relationship between these major nonprofits and broadway uh oh, and yeah. how you know new york theater workshop is giving us uh merrily re- right now and mm-hmm. uh and of course, gave us rent, and we mm-hmm, have mm-hmm, uh, just mm-hmm. an incredible. You know what would you know what would Michael's day would have been like without a revival of Camelot at Lincoln yeah. Center? <laughs> and so, I mean, uh, the, we have a lot, a lot of stuff that are, that go back and forth between Second Stage and Broadway and all these other things. So, what do you think about this, um, Peter? You have well, any thoughts? Well, I have to say that um, Andre really saved Lincoln Center. There was even talk of tearing down the Vivian Beaumont Theater. Yep. Uh, and um, so many people could not make it work, including Joe Papp. I mean, it was mm. definitely administration after administration, and look what happened. Andre, who, of course, uh, made Playwrights Horizons, Playwrights mm-hmm. Horizons, was able to uh, go there and certainly make a go of it. All right, things have been a little tough lately, I'll grant you that, but uh, nevertheless, I don't think that's why he's leaving. I think, you know, after all, we, we're all getting older. Um, <laughs> yeah. In the 60s, we used to say, today is the first day of the rest of your life. And while that's still true, you've never been older than you are right now. And you now you're even older. And now you're even older. <laughs> so no way to go but up. But anyway, um, so, you know, Andre certainly deserves a retirement in good times. But uh, let's not forget that he really saved that theater. And um, God love him for doing so. And before that... Uh, he was a major force at Playwrights Horizons. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really wonderful, admirable, stellar career. I, I mm. am sorry. Uh, you know, I, regardless of your snark, um, James, about about mm. my feelings about Camelot, I, I would not be surprised if that didn't at least contribute. Uh, I mean, that should have been a slam dunk, and it wasn't. And I think, uh, I mean, I would place all of the blame on. Bartlett Cher and Aaron Sorkin, but of course, um, Andre is still the you know the the one who calls the shots. So I do hope. Uh, I believe that we have read that he um, it will be there until the end of next season. Correct. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I hope. I very much hope um, that he has one more, at least one more wonderful hit in that time, and maybe. Uh, well, maybe it will or maybe it won't involve Bartlett Chair. Well, hmm. one of the things I liked about what he did um, at Lincoln Center is that he did take big swings. Oh, um, sure, sure. And he mm-hmm. wasn't he wasn't risk averse. He'd do mm-hmm. um, things like the Coast of Utopia. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. which had, you know, like 17,000 actors <laughs> on the stage and in multiple parts. Um, he do uh, things like that weird John Weir thing, a man of all colors or something. Yeah. He would just, he would just go out there and, and do what we hope theater would do. Mm-hmm. Take a chance on the creative people let them you know put the money behind them and and let's see what it is and so the 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 hits the misses i 
I was always really grateful for how he uh, he led that company. And a recent example of that was the skin of our teeth. Yes. Mm. I mean, even if you didn't think that production worked on a whole, it was absolutely extraordinary. Yes. And I think uh, I've always assumed that uh, Lincoln Center Theater is is well-funded, you know, in terms of endowment, et cetera. But um, uh, I, I don't think Andre was a spendthrift. But as you said, Jan, he would spend the money necessary. There was that incredible production of Dinner at Eight that they did with that unbelievable set. You know, uh, it was so their great sets, to see that. <laughs> their sets are always, just about always gorgeous. Mm, true, true, true. And so um, so there's that. But also, I think what's, I mean, Andre is, uh, he'll be 75, I think, next, uh, in November. And so he just may feel as though, you know, he wants to step back. Um but I think what's really interesting with all of these changes, because I took a look um, after James and I started exchanging these emails, and within the past uh, two or three years, there have been changes at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of the major nonprofit theaters here in New York. and And that's... You know, most of these people came in in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, mm-hmm. when the nonprofit theater movement was really getting started. And now we're we're having a, a, a changing of the guard. And it's going to be interesting to see who comes in and who comes in, particularly at this very challenging time mm-hmm. for nonprofit theaters. Mm-hmm. They've got so much to balance, um, bringing audiences back after the pandemic, developing new audiences who haven't traditionally gone to the theater, be it um, people of color, be it young people, be it people who who just have felt that they've not seen themselves on stages. They've got to deal with uh, less money coming in from from mm. the government, even from foundations. They've got to deal with the you know real insistence that we have more inclusive, more diverse theater. There, the people who come in will be faced with a lot of challenges. And I just hope that those of us who really love theater will uh, be patient uh, with them, be supportive of them as they try to figure, figure this out. We're, we're entering, I think, a new phase of, uh, of, of theater. Mm-hmm. I agree entirely. Yeah. We talk about, you know, uh, eh, eh, it seems as though that when we we review the Lincoln Center shows, we always say, uh, uh, we always say, uh, this this is a big cast even for Lincoln Center because most of the time they can't be done. And I and, mm-hmm. I, and I think about you, you mentioned Skin of Our Teeth, but I think about uh, I think about The King and I, and mm-hmm. and, and the, the size of that cast and The King mm-hmm. and I was you know. Rivals the uh, <laughs> rivals the cast that uh, the, the public works do in Shakespeare in the Park. You know, it's it's like you know you, you you can't. And of course, those two things are both nonprofits that that live on the support of major donors and are able to do that. And we, 
and and you talk about sets and i think about act one uh right you know act the uh, the act one set oh yeah yeah i mean or the my fair lady set in the in the revival a few years back uh you know uh, they just you know it's uh Mm -hmm. what they have done at lincoln center is unmatched by anything i've ever seen anywhere else Uh, although Mm -hmm. i've 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 not seen you know the rumored uh the rumored theater in russia where they you know rehearse for four years uh, on a a production you know (laughs) so um yeah there's a lot of change in the air and and you know as these you know who do you replace andre bishop with Mm-hmm. You have to replace Andre Bishop with somebody that's already running a major nonprofit theater. Uh, and so what happens down the whole scale there, you know, so you're going to pull somebody from, you know, I, I, I don't I know. And don't, just... I don't think the f- current feeling is that he has to be replaced with someone like that. I think it might be new blood and and let's hope the new blood is up for it. I would be really, really surprised if it weren't somebody who were running a major nonprofit right really? now. Really? And I mean, I'm not from New York, could be like Oregon Shakespeare Theater no, or somewhere out of Chicago yeah. or things like that. But, well, maybe, I, you maybe know, you're right. I, well, they you may know. be going in a different direction. Um, just this week, um, the Geffen Playhouse out in Los Angeles mm. announced that Terrell Alvin McCraney, uh, was going to take over as its artistic director. Wow. And that's unusual. He's a playwright. Yeah. Um, so that's and, what I was thinking. Yeah, that's when you said that, Michael. That that's that's what tripped you know my thinking here. Mm. So they may go in a in a different uh, uh, direction in that way. That's why I think it's you know we're in new territory, folks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a really um you know interesting time and i just pulled up um the uh tax returns for lincoln center and <laughs> what's what's really fascinating um is they don't have a lot of money they don't have a lot of money mm, um, that is that surprises me and so they spend the hell out of what they get um it's 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 just amazing um jan you know, do you have donald trump's tax returns <laughs> i wish i could pull Can those you up. pull those up yeah i wish exactly. i could pull, right. no i you know it's right. uh you know it's, next week yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right so this is uh obviously this is going to be an ongoing story for us over the next uh couple of years and we will continue to you know take a critical look at you know what's happening with these major nonprofits it's going to be very important and impactful for the broadway uh the broadway members uh in the broadway community as well as are uh, the audience members who continue to watch these great shows that come out yeah it's talking about uh great shows well mm. I guess I don't know if this is a great show, but uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll tell, tell you. me you're about to tell me because <laughs> I haven't seen it over at MCC Manhattan Class Company, as it used to be called, but it's just called MCC right now. 
There's a Playwrights Realm production of Mary Gets Hers. And uh, Peter and Jan have seen this. So, Jan, why don't you start us off on Mary Gets Hers? Oh, I knew you were going to come to me on it first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> This uh, play is a, uh, it's by a playwright um, named Emma Horwitz, and it's based on a 10th century play by a German nun named Roswitha. I think that's how you pronounce her name. And Horwitz has put a real contemporary spin on on this play and it's one of those plays that even though it's done in its original setting and with the costumes of that period uh uses contemporary language and rose wrote mm, very difficult pronouncing <laughs> her name rosuisa's play was about a young orphan woman named Mary who is taken in by uh, a hermit, a religious hermit, into a community of, uh, of of hermits and is raised there as a ward of this, I guess you'd call it, monastery. But she leaves the monastery and becomes a prostitute. And the original hermit who rescued her when she was uh, uh, orphaned during one of the episodes of the plague, the Black Plague, that was always seeming to pop up in medieval times, uh, turns out to have been her uncle. And he goes to the brothel and he reclaims her. And it is a story of religious redemption. That's the original version. The version that's done in Mary Gets Hers um, makes a lot of fun of religion. All of the characters, male and female, be it the Mary or the uh, monks or the brothel keeper or the clients of the brothel are all played by female uh, actors. This is very similar to me to what um, uh, Brandon Jacob Jenkins did with uh, Octoroon. Some people may remember that that play. Uh, he put a contemporary spin on the Dion um, uh, 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 Busico uh, melodrama. Um, he also did it with everybody where he put a contemporary spin on um, morality plays uh uh, during um, medieval times. This one seemed to me a little juvenile, uh, that it was more like a fringe show. I wasn't sure I really got the point of it. Um, I would rather have seen a play about the original German playwright, Roswitha, who many people consider to um, have been the, the first uh, post uh, Greek period playwright, um, and I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm stumbling here because it didn't work for me, but it did seem to work for the audience. 
And Playwrights Realm really specializes in going out after playwrights who are at the beginning of their career and supporting them. And uh, and I really, really support that. As a matter of fact, I write a little check to them um, every year. And when I came out um, after seeing this, I was thinking, oh, this isn't for me. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to actually double my little meager contribution to them because they are taking risk and they are doing uh, supporting uh, people who are coloring outside the box. So this didn't work for me, but it might work for other people. And I'm really interested in whether or not it worked for Peter. <laughs> all right. Um, <clears throat> no, not at all. And mostly because right from the outset, it seemed like a, a, a way over the top farce. That's the way it's directed. And I thought, you know, I'd like to see a production that isn't directed farcically. I wonder if the playwright's happy with this production, but indeed she must be, because I learned from uh, the review and talk in Broadway, all that chat that uh, indeed um, she and the director have been friends for a long time. So, um, hmm. so this is the production I imagine that she wants. Uh, if we hear they have a terrible fight and they're never speaking to each other again, <laughs> then that's not the case, but I have a feeling it is the case. So this is what she wanted it to be. So I thought um, it was uh, buffoonery, uh, very, very silly. And, um, and the idea that um, one who is living in a monastery would certainly have a better time in a brothel um, does make sense to me on a basic level, but um, I'm not sure the life of a prostitute is such a terrific life either. Um, Lord knows there are many uh, drawbacks to that. So, so it, it, it struck me. I, I had no patience for it whatsoever. And um, I knew from the outset, I just wasn't going to respond to it at all. So I'm terribly sorry to have to say this, but uh, to me, it really was a washout though. I do believe that the actors are doing everything they were asked to do and are doing it quite well indeed. So I will not fault the actors. Um, I wonder what they think um, about being in a, such an over-top production. But it was really very nice to see um, these uh, women in the show, um, some of them playing men, and uh, doing a very nice job of it, I thought, um, to the point to which I said, hmm... Is 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 that a woman actually? Is that somebody trans or binary? And when you start thinking along those lines, you know the performer's doing a good job if if the performer has you guessing. So uh so I do applaud the performers if indeed I cannot perform uh, applaud the play or the direction. Okay. So that is uh, Mary Gets Hers over at MCC. It's uh, running through October 14th. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Peter, you were over at the York to see Golden Rainbow, so uh, give us your rundown on that. Well, Golden Rainbow is a 1968 musical that was considered quite um, a, a dull and terrible show in its time. If you read <laughs> William Golden's book, The Season, it's under the um, chapter called Washing Garbage, which, of course, doesn't promise <laughs> Uh, we're going to hear <laughs> such good things about the show. Uh, um, so um, it was considered pretty junky at the time. It was a vehicle for Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet, a married couple. He had already been on Broadway four years earlier and What Makes Sammy Run. Everybody liked him quite a bit. He got a Tony nomination, and had it not been um, 
this the same season, uh, perhaps as when Bert Lahr was in Foxy and everybody felt bad that that show didn't run. Uh, conceivably, Steve Lawrence could have walked away with the award because he really, really kept the show going. And one, one week when he was out, I mean, the grosses dropped tremendously. So, um, and by the way, one week Paul Anka played the part. But anyway, I digress. So, Golden Rainbow uh, was written by Walter Marks um, and Ernest Canoy, who had worked together on um, Bajor. Uh, four years earlier. And the thing was that this was based on a play by Arnold Schulman called A Hole in the Head. You may have seen the movie, and if you haven't, you can. Uh, and um, it's about a single father who has a kid, and um, they're living in, in, the, in the original play, they're living in Miami, but there was an idea to change it to Las Vegas, which I think was a smart idea. And um, there he is. And um, the, the the Golden Rainbow Hotel is not doing well at all. And they owe a lot of money and what's going to happen and so on and so forth. In the original play, um, he has, um, I think it's grandparents, but maybe not an uncle, but certainly a married couple that um, is older and more settled and all that. And they come and they want to take the kid away and, um, and indeed uh, provide a better life for him than in this uh, shady environment. Well, because Steve Lawrence was married to Edie Gourmet and they wanted to have her something to do, they made it a single mother. Now, Goldman took great issue with this, saying, well, if she's a, uh, if she's a single woman, I should say, if she's a single woman, is she really going to do a better job of it than a single father? Because she's going to have to work and so on and so forth. But, you know, as um, longtime Broadway observer Joe Marchese said, um, times have changed so much and we do see single mothers and uh, routinely taking care of children and doing a good job of it. So, um, I don't think that's a barrier anymore. Well, whether it is or it isn't, um, there's no question there's been a great deal of revision in this, uh, golden rainbow. And, um, I, so, but what's ever been revised has mostly been revised in the score. If you know the score from the original Broadway cast album, you're not going to hear all of it. And you're going to hear a lot of new songs, some of which are really, really good. So, um, so this is worth seeing for that. And the cast is terrific, terrific. Um, Max von Essen playing the Steve Lawrence role, really, really quite wonderful. Mary David playing the Gourmet role, phenomenal. Beautifully, beautifully sung. And by the way, whatever you want to say about Golden Rainbow, whatever you want to say about washing garbage, Walter Marks really wrote for Steve and Edie. He knew their strengths and he wrote songs that really were in their wheelhouse, including the famous song, I've Got to Be Me. Unfortunately, it didn't become a famous song while the show was running, so it didn't help. It uh, became famous later through a Sammy Davis uh, Jr. recording. And um, it's a song that a lot of people know, but it certainly didn't help at the box office. It was too little and much too late. So anyway, but he really wrote very, very well for those characters, uh, for those people, and um, and for those characters too, for that matter. But um, that doesn't mean that Max von Essen and Mark Davis aren't doing a phenomenal job delivering these songs. Well, they're not the only two who are extraordinary. Benjamin Pajak, who many people might know from playing Winthrop and the Music Man in the Hugh Jackman revival. They may know him from Oliver doing it encores um, uh, earlier, uh, no, last year, I guess. Yeah, whenever it was. So, and if you went to the Theater World Awards this year, you saw him do Gary, Indiana and Where is Love from both of those shows and um, tore down the house. And he really is tremendous. He is so, so amazing. Josh Ellis, who was there last night, said, ah, oh, ah, oh, 
you know, what a Patrick he would make in Maine. He would be so good in that part. They really got to revive it. Really um, soon. Really soon. <laughs> yeah, I'll grant you that. Grant you that. Yeah, we're not the only ones getting older. So are they. And um, But the thing is, you know, I mean, he's so good that, um, frankly, I think he should be over the title. Um, Benjamin Pajak in MAME, uh, also starring Audrey McDonald or whatever. But, I mean, really, he is so fun. His comic timing is amazing. He knows how to do a double take. He is so wonderful. He sings beautifully. And what was really interesting in the curtain call, this may have been in Inadvertent, but <laughs> um, he's in the center. Um, there are five people on each side of him. He's actually in the center. Um, you would think that uh, Max von Essen would be, but um, Freud says there are no accidents. Anyway, Stuart Ross is director. <laughs> and um, I will say I still have a big problem with the show, an enormous problem. That is the fact that um, the, the character of Larry, the Steve Lawrence, Max von Essen role, is uh, a notorious uh screw up um i'm using a euphemism and uh never gets his bill pays on time is a great dreamer all this kind of stuff and he defends himself what i've got to be me well he has he really uh wants to get uh golden rainbow uh solvent so he writes um the aunt that's who she is now uh judy um, to wire him $5,000 because the kid is sick in the hospital and he's real. the doctors don't know what it is. Well, she gets so concerned that she flies out there. He was hoping just for a check, but she flies out there and she discovers that he's lying. Okay, we want this man to grow. We want him to really take responsibility. And in the second act, after she gives him the $5,000, um, he, um, he's been trying to get a, an old friend from back home to invest in an idea he has. And the guy uh, owns a casino and is, is, um, loves to gamble and what have you. And he challenges him to gamble at one point. And he does. He gambles the $5,000 and loses everything. And we hate him I, for that. You know, I really wish what would happen is that um, he would actually sing, I've got to be me, um, essentially saying, it's got to be my kid. Um it's got to be Ben. Uh, change the name to that. Um, and for more reasons than one. Anyway, um, and to have him take responsibility, what we're expected to believe here is that after um, all this has taken place, that he's lost everything, that they're going to buy a diner that has been failing and they're going to turn it into a gourmet diner, not to be confused with the gourmet, the other type of gourmet. <laughs> and and that they're going to really make a go of it and it's going to be so successful they're going to franchise all around the country this really i mean this this is part of the show and um and this woman is an executive for Lord and Taylor, and they're going to have her be um, a chief cook and bottle washer. I mean, it, it's so unbelievable. But I really would love to see him grow and take responsibility and really do something for his kid. Um, I know that we're expecting him to uh, roll those dice and lose, and um, I think that's really too bad. By the way, um, Robert Cuccioli plays the um, the guy Carmine Malatesta. Need I say more about who Carmine Malatesta must be? So um, terrific in the role and does a very nice uh, Marlon Brando Godfather imitation at one point. So a very strong cast. It's worth going to for a number of reasons, including hearing the new songs and some old songs with different lyrics. Um, I don't know any human being who loves show music who doesn't like the song for once in your life. 
Uh, and um, it has completely new lyrics now. And I think stronger ones because in the original, um, the Edie Gourmet character is seduced too easily into the good life. And th- there's still plenty of the show to go. So here it's it doesn't advance the action at all, I'll grant you. But I think it, it's a much stronger song. So um, a lot of assets, certainly liabilities. But Stuart Ross has put a wonderful cast on stage. And uh, if you've ever had any curiosity about Golden Rain, you must be there. If you had no curiosity about Golden Rainbow, you will still have many pleasures in this York Theater Musical and Mufti's um, production. All right. That is uh, yet another week to see that. It runs through October 1st. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, next up, uh, Jan, Peter, and Michael got to see Dig at 59 East 59, the new Teresa Rebeck, uh, Rebeck show. Uh, so, Michael, why don't you get us started off on this? Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I stuck it to Jan first, and I stuck it yeah. to Peter. Now it was your turn. Yeah. My turn came up. My number came up. <laughs> okay. Um, I've always found Teresa Rebecca. I think that's how she pronounced it. Does anyone know for sure? I don't know. Uh, I've okay. heard Rebecca or Rebecca, but all right, Teresa oh. Rebecca, um, who, by the way, wrote and directed this production, which I think there lies a huge problem. Uh, but as a playwright, I've always found her very frustrating because I think she has a tremendous amount of talent um, that has been demonstrated in many things she's written, uh, but also a lot of drawbacks. Uh, and one thing that sh- seems to me that she does is uh, that she will put things in her place just for shock effect. Um and it works for shock effect, but I don't think that makes for good playwriting. And there's uh, at least two things that happen in, in this that were such a turnoff to me that uh, I was either I, my intelligence was insulted and also I was morally offended uh, at one or two places. Um, in brief, it's the story of a fellow named Roger who runs a, I was going to say a flower store, but I guess you would say a plant store because uh, he actually makes the points that, that there are very few flowering <laughs> plants um, in in his shop. He just doesn't like to deal with them for s- some reason, at least not at the beginning. Anyway, he's, um, he's I don't know, maybe like about 60 or, or so, maybe a little older. Um, and this youngish woman turns up uh, in the shop one day, and she's obviously in very, very bad shape. Uh, and this is indicated by the fact that she's, uh, when we first see her, she's sitting in the corner practically in a fetal position so no subtlety uh there in the direction and that character's name is megan um played by andrea siglowski uh roger is played by jeffrey bean if i didn't say that um and it turns out that uh gradually we learn that something horrible happened in Megan's past. And I don't think this is a spoiler for me to say what that is because uh, it's uh, revealed right at the, right at the beginning almost of this play. Uh, She um, year, uh, some years earlier had left supposedly left her child alone in a car uh, and the child died from suffocation and, and he, uh, exposure uh and so uh this this story was all over the news and so megan is hated by everyone 
uh, in the community and everyone, and even uh, we're led to believe people all over the world, um, you know, who's latched onto this story of this neglected mother and how horrible to do that to a little baby. Um, so she, you come out, one can understand why she's in pretty bad shape, uh, but she's trying to continue her life and uh, Roger gives her a job. And it's basically uh, what happens is we see her sort of blossom, uh, if you will, you know, a, a metaphor that's not, again, very subtle uh, in this in this plant store, uh, this <laughs> with with some flowering plants um, over the course of the play. Other characters include um, Andrea's stepfather, Lou, played by Trini Sandoval, um, who apparently is there because he. Um, he does Roger's books. He does the books for the shop. Uh, and that's apparently his only involvement. But because of that, he feels like he he can come in whenever he wants and just comment on how everything is done and sort of try to run things and complain <laughs> to Roger that he's not doing things right. Um, there's also a, a female customer who turns out to be quite an, um, a pill, uh, and her name is Molly, and she's played by Mary Bacon. Then there's this fellow named Everett, who is a stoner type, uh, very, very well played, amusingly played by Greg Keller, um, who uh, sometimes drives a truck uh, for Roger to deliver the plants, but he's sort of on again off off again because he's such a stoner um and so uh and then and then there's one more character who i i can't reveal because that would be a spoiler but anyway um so to use the idea of having a little child be killed in that way uh to me it's very you're you're really treading on on very very shaky ground um to begin with and uh and the way that that is then used uh, to me was just ridiculous uh, because early on, somebody says, I think Roger says something like uh, to someone else, well, we don't necessarily know the whole story. And so that causes the audience and me uh, to suddenly start thinking for the whole rest of the play, well, what could he possibly mean by that? Either she left her son in the car to die or she didn't well i i won't reveal what the answer is but when it comes it was beyond all credibility that would ever happen among any human beings on this earth that we live in so i don't think that that's good playwriting and then um just the other thing that happened that i found morally offensive was a very brief moment where um everett the stoner guy at one point uh um goes out on with uh with Megan on sort of a date and then they come back to the shop and then they start to become intimate and then something happens that is so appalling that uh I gasped and so did the entire audience but you know fine the only thing is then then that thing that happened was immediately forgotten and not dealt with any further so again shock effect shock effect shock effect and i think um i think that maybe if uh the playwright had had someone else direct the play for her that person might have acted as a bit of a dramaturg and said you know we really should rethink 
these moments. Uh, I mean, of course, I I don't know if that would happen, but there would have been at least more chance for it to happen. So um, that's my take on Dig. Uh, I liked it in the beginning, and then as it went along, I became more and more upset by it and almost felt like near the end that I almost wanted to walk out. Okay. Jan, did you stay? I stayed. I stayed. Okay. Um, I'm less down on this than, than, than Michael is. I share his feelings about Teresa Rebecca. Is that what we're calling her? (laughs) Um, about her, her work. But as I watched this, I started thinking, and, and, and here's a theory I'm going to throw out at you guys that in a sense, because her last play, which was seared, which was, uh, a, a play about a, a chef of a perfectionist chef mm-hmm. um that Raul Esparza uh played and i i also liked that play and ultimately i liked and i'm using air quotes uh this one and mm-hmm. my theory is that she's kind of like a contemporary neil simon she writes middle brow plays um, mm-hmm. These plays are meant to uh, entertain, to give the audience members a little bit to think about, um, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of grit, a little bit of meat to, 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 to deal with intellectually. But in the end, things are going to, 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 to work out. She bubble wraps a lot of the really uncomfortable, contentious issues that she presents in humor. Um, People, I think, leave feeling satisfied from her works. And I know that when people use the phrase middle brow, it's usually a put down. Um, I don't put it down because I think that's where my brow is. Um, (laughs) And, um, it's, I think people feel well served by her plays. And when I left, I thought, this is the kind of work that people are looking for now. They, they don't want to feel as though they're, they're stupid. They don't want to feel as though they're being pandered to, but they also want to feel entertained and satisfied as though things are right in the end they don't want abrupt endings they don't even necessarily want down endings um and i think that's what this play does that's what she does i think the acting was was all really really good and i thought the set was fantastic so our friend Patrick Pacheco says it's Rebeck, and so does Rob Johnson says it's Rebeck. Rebeck. So, okay. Rebeck, yes. Okay. Uh, so uh, the challenge of doing an audio format when we were used to mm-hmm. reading these names and never actually saying them out loud mm-hmm. is the uh, struggle Matt Temanini has every day <laughs> on today on Broadway. <laughs> Having to, you know, much more exposure to new names than we do. Uh, so, Peter, what do you think about Dig at 5090s 59? Well, it's funny because um, 
Michael dealt with the issue of uh, should a playwright direct uh, his or her own work. And uh, that's exactly the way I approached it when I reviewed it for Broadway Select. That review's up. You can see it. Uh, But I have to agree with him entirely about not believing what happens deep in the play uh, when we find out what really went on uh, with that kid in the car. I cannot begin to believe uh, what happened there. So uh, that's a big problem. Wasn't that (laughs) just incredible i mean how could someone put that on 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 a page yeah it, it made I no i didn't find it as hard to believe as you guys oh okay i just <laughs> didn't find it as hard to believe uh, i wish we could discuss it more in detail but yeah maybe we'll do so no, we among can. ourselves <laughs> yeah uh well um but you know the one thing um about playwrights directing their own plays i mean you know obviously writers are more familiar with their work than directors are they've been spending months maybe years um even decades on them so um and of course playwrights do put in stage directions which means they're directing their plays in a certain sense so um and we do hear that film is the director's medium and plays or the playwrights medium so maybe you know you know on the other hand it is good to have uh, somebody else uh, making suggestions so um but um whatever we want to say about her as a director she certainly got terrific performances out of her people they say 90 percent of it is casting well she cast it extraordinarily well i thought everybody was terrific in this mm-hmm. um um and you know there are so so many questions you never know when, about direction i mean for example here's andrea sagowski um you know who's really a damaged soul and uh did she or did uh, Teresa decide that the character should wrap both arms around her body and hug herself tightly in a way that suggests she'd fall apart if she didn't do that? Um, we don't know. You know, was mm-hmm. it a case of um, the director saying, do this or, oh, yeah, leave that in. That's good. Mm-hmm. You know, so so we never know. But I thought the cast was terrific. And um, for that matter, I don't know if um, Fabian Fidel Aguilar, who was the costume designer, uh, decided that she should have jeans with uh, holes in her knees. Now, Lord knows that's a fashion statement for a lot of people, but was it a way of saying this This lady um, is is damaged? Um, she's torn apart. So I don't know. But um, yes, the set was terrific. Um, no question about that. I also had a problem late in the play when um, the owner of the store leaves in a situation where I don't think he'd leave because um, let me just say there's a loose cannon um, moment where um, that I, I, somebody comes into the shop who's very dangerous and um, I don't think he would leave at that moment. So uh, there's a problem there too. I, I don't see why they couldn't have stepped outside to have the conversation they're having. And um, if they did, you know, we're, we're used now to people coming to the lip of the stage and the lights dimming and we know we're in a different place. Mm. So um, I think that would have mm. helped tremendously because I do not believe this man who was so into um, his his shop would leave when um, mm. it's it's very clear that somebody threatening was there. The one thing about Teresa Rebeck, there were many good things about Teresa, but the thing is, boy, did she do the research. I mean, when she did Mauritius, um, you know that she spent so many arduous days, months um, researching the stamp world um and here 
I mean, this is the first time I've heard the word photosynthesis since high school. You know, and I mean, <laughs> I <did> the same <laughs> reaction, exactly. No, I mean, really, you know, so you can really tell she put in the time to learn about play. So she, when she gets an idea for a play, she doesn't just write, she researches, and I have great respect for her for doing that. So, um, but if only she had found a different ending. Well, again, it doesn't bother Jan, but um, yeah, Michael and I are on the same page on this one. <laughs> By the way, if we didn't mention, this is uh, primary stages at 59, he's 59. And as we did mention earlier, primary stages is one of the places that has recently lost its leader or will be losing its leader. Uh, in this case, it was the death of Andrew yeah, Lindsay. Yeah, yeah. And yes. uh, there is a, a little dedication to him on the back of mm-hmm. the, uh, it's not a playbill yeah. Uh, that you received it's a one sheet but it says this production is dedicated to primary stages late artistic director andrew lindsay his outstanding contributions made an indelible mark not only on primary stages but on american theater as a whole with this show we celebrate his vision creativity generosity and kindness he was always there Yes. Um, at the primary stages uh, productions. I actually wondered at one point, did he have another life? Because every time <laughs> I went there, mm-hmm. he was there welcoming people and so on. And as it turned out, he did have another life. Um, Mary Bacon, who appears in the play, is his widow. Oh, yeah, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I never knew that. She's tremendous, by the way. It's not much of a part for her, but she's she's always wonderful, and I'm always glad to see her in the show. Yes, she's done a lot at the Mint and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. All right. So Peter and Jan got over to the Lucy Lortel to see Rachel Bloom in her show, Death, comma, Let Me Do My Show. Uh, okay, so Jan, why don't you start us off with this? <laughs> I think most people uh, who listen to this will know Rachel Bloom from her TV show, uh, Crazy Mm -hmm. Ex-Girlfriend. She is, though, I think primarily a stand-up comic. And this show sort of balances the two. Um, One of the things that made Crazy Ex-Girlfriend that was a trademark of that show were the songs that she um uh, uh wrote um and 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 uh, co-wrote and performed and uh so there are songs in this show there's sort of a theme to this show and it's stand up it's it's very similar to a Mike Birbiglia show and that makes sense because it's directed uh by the same person uh Seth Barish Mm-hmm. Uh, this show, she starts it off pretending and that she is going to do the show that she had scheduled to do in 2020. But of course, that show got um, canceled as like all of life did um, in early 2020. And then it gradually morphs into, well, no, this isn't the show that she was going to do because a lot of events, a lot of very important events happened to her in 2020, some COVID-related and some not. The two major things are that she um, 
had a child during the pandemic and it was a a very complicated birth and that she lost her uh this is well known she lost her writing partner um Adam Schlesinger is that correct mm-hmm. Peter? Yeah. she lost her her uh, partner Adam Schlesinger who was an early victim of uh, uh of the pandemic and she deals with these issues um uh in the play the songs that she does and the songs are interspersed throughout the sort of i guess uh 80 90 minutes uh a show the songs work best um they're they're her typical potty mouthed um ribald kinds of of uh, uh lyrics and she has, I thought, a really terrific voice. I'd love to see her in an actual musical. I think she'd be uh, really interesting in that. But in this, unlike for me, um, Mike Berbiglia it, it is able to be simultaneously funny, but also get at things that are, are deep. And although she dances with things that are deep, she sort of dances up to them and then dances away. (laughs) And perhaps these things are just too still painful. Um, uh, I think, oddly enough, let me say, her kid is okay. And I think, oddly enough, that I saw her kid. Because I was sitting there and my seat was one over from the aisle. Um, and just before the show was about to start, a man came and he had this toddler on his lap. And I thought, who would bring a toddler to a <laughs> Rachel Bloom show? Who would bring a toddler to a show, period? But why are you sitting here with this kid on your lap? And um, I think I heard the kids say, you know, something like, mommy, where's mommy? And he leaned over and whispered to her. And as soon as Rachel Bloom came out on stage, like a minute later, he left. So I think that might have been her husband and her <laughs> kid. So her kid mm. got to see mommy. Where's mommy? There's mommy. We're going. <laughs> um, maybe because it was too, this is all too new, too fresh, too much of a wound. She didn't dig deep enough, uh, for me, but she has an audience and people really seem to enjoy the show. I've also skipped over one significant thing in the show, but, um, I do think it's somewhat of a spoiler, so I'm going to continue to skip <laughs> over it and pass the baton over to Peter. Hey, Peter, what'd you think? I have one sentence. I didn't laugh once. Not once. Wow. I didn't find it funny at all. Wow. All right. So there it is. Uh, death, let me do my show. I got really killed by Felicia. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, I, I did not see it. Um, but uh, are interest- you a Rachel Bloom fan? I am a Rachel Bloom fan. Yeah, I uh, love Crazy Ex Girlfriend, and I was excited that she was coming to Off Broadway. Uh, my only insight into this is that 
uh, the website for the show is called rachelbloomshow.com. Uh, and Death Let Me Do My Show does nothing to sell the show. So it's not like Rachel Bloom in Death Let Me Do My mm-hmm. Show or something. It, it's mm-hmm. interesting that they, they, mm. they sort of didn't capitalize on her name. It seemed like they were going to, but. It changed for something. It doesn't make any sense for me from a marketing standpoint or, uh, you know, getting the word out type of thing. But uh, there it is. Death Let Me Do My Show is closing this week coming up on September 30th. We'll have a link to rachelbloomshow.com in the show notes so that you can check it out. All right. So that wraps it up for this week. Before we get on to trivias, multiple trivias, <laughs> trivia, and, and the musical moments, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayVideo.com. There's a subscribe link that way. Each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Patreon or a big download of two Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. as many ways to get us. Matt has been outlining all the new things we're doing on Patreon. So if you want to get our shows early and get all the extra content, go to patreon.com slash Broadway Radio and check out the offerings there. You can listen to us on Spotify, Our Heart Radio, TuneIn, Google Play, uh, the new Stitcher platform, anywhere that you can listen to your finer podcast, you'll find us. Contact information for Peter for. Michael, for Jan and for me, can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do you have an you have answers <laughs> to the last couple of weeks of trivia? First off, let's deal with the question from the week before, which was, if you went to see SpongeBob SquarePants on Broadway and your seat was in the mezzanine while you were climbing up the staircase, what song might come to your mind? Well, you'd be on the steps of the palace where SpongeBob mm-hmm. played. Greg Christensen was the first to answer, followed by Paul Witte, Nikki Juvan, Sean Logan, Tony Janicki, Angela Ramachi, Brigadude, Bird Bonner, Mike Meany, Jeff Valenga, Josh Israel, Jack Leshner, Alex Lauder, and Isaac Blevins. In addition, when I happened to be with my buddies David Regano and Ken Cantor, I happened to mention this question, and they got it too. As for last week's question, and Thank you to Rob Johnson for delivering it. A very famous Walt Disney animated character and his very famous song could also be his way of telling us that he owns an original Broadway, all London cast album with a Tony winning score by a very famous composer who became a composer lyricist on this occasion. Who's the character, his song, the score, and the composer lyricist? Well, Richard Rogers wrote the entire Tony winning score to no strings. If Pinocchio had a copy, he could sing... I've Got No Strings, which he does in the film, albeit under very different circumstances. <laughs> this time, Tony Janicki was the first to get it, followed by Paul Witte, Sean Logan, J. Aubrey Jones, Cheryl Hodges Selden, Steve Bell, Isaac Blevins, Josh Israel, Jess Falenga, and Mike Umanis. All right, this week's question. Listen to any cast album of Once Upon a Mattress, and in one of its songs, you'll hear two consecutive words just happened to be the name of a Broadway musical that closed the day the reviews came out. What was it, and what was the song in which it just happened to be mentioned? Hmm. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayvideo.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? 
Well, somewhere online recently, on uh, I think a Facebook page, the musical Good News came up. And uh, this was a show that was originally on Broadway in 1927. And then there was a revisal of it in 1974. Um, and the revisal did not last long. Uh, it came to Broadway after a tour that I think did well, but then for some reason, the revisal on Broadway uh, did not run very long at all. I don't know if it was just poor marketing or maybe the people um, were becoming a little tired of nostalgia after No No Nanette and and Irene uh, or uh, who knows. Um, but I did get to see the show and uh, I remember enjoying it very much, although I don't have a lot of specific memory of it, except that I do remember uh, one of the stars was Alice Faye, the great Alice Faye. And uh, I waited to see her at, at the stage door afterwards. And I guess I was 17 at the time. And I guess she was uh, touched by the fact that somebody so young would have waited to speak with her and see her. So she greeted me and she put her hand on my face and stroked my cheek. So <laughs> I, I didn't wash my cheek for a long time. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, in that show, uh, in the cast was Wayne Bryan, who uh, later went on to, among other things, become the uh, the head honcho at the Music Theater of Wichita. And he uh, actually, um, there was no cast album of that 74 revisal of Good News, but he uh, produced a privately produced cast album uh, taken from live recordings made at, at various points during the run. Um, and, uh, he just, I guess, gave that to friends. Uh, I mean, he, he couldn't sell it or anything because it's didn't get, he didn't get the rights. And I was going to, uh, I considered, um, get, offering some selections from that, but I too decided that maybe it would be safer not to, because I'm, I'm not sure that the rights are cleared, but, um, years later in 1996, uh, Wayne, uh, helped produce a, full studio cast recording uh, with cast members of the production that he later did at the Music Theater of Wichita. And uh, so you do have that. And I think it's a terrific recording, um, despite the fact, actually, David Wolf's review of it on our cast album reviews website is not that great. Uh, I, I I respectfully disagree with the late David Wolf. I think it's a terrific recording with a really good cast. Kim Huber, Ann Morrison, Linda Michelle, Michael Gruber, Wayne Bryan himself, Hal Davis, Jessica Bovers, uh, Michael McCormick. Uh, conducted really terrifically by Craig Barna conducting the National Symphony Orchestra. So anyway, our music this week, uh, our two selections from that studio cast album the opener is the title song good news and the closer is uh, arguably the biggest hit from the score the varsity drag so i hope you enjoy both of those michael may i add that mm. um the reason that wayne was able to produce that um double disc album was because he was on a quiz show uh, something I think might have been the twenty thousand. Oh right, yes, yes, yes. And 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 won the big prize and said, "I'm spending the money to put out the album," and that's yes. where that came from. <laughs> and yeah, and he just he sent me one of those, and it's numbered because uh, yeah, yeah. there really were very few, and so yeah. I'm holding on to that. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I I just looked it up, and on Amazon, the disc goes for fifty eight 
dollars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm surprised available at all. That's that's great. Yeah. It says yeah. only three left in stock. So two. All left in stock. Somebody just bought one. Somebody just bought one. <laughs> see what? See the Somebody power of Broadway <laughs> Radio? That's it. It's, it's immense. <laughs> immense. No question. It is. Oh, wow. Okay. So on behalf of Jan Simpson, Michael Portantier, and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.